0: Welcome to the audio podcast for Beit Abba, the Messianic Jewish ministry at the Father's house. We exist to proclaim the gospel to the Jewish people and to connect Christians to Israel and the Jewish roots of our faith. We we speak about this message that we're carrying as being from golden gate to golden gate. Because we're in a season around the world where God is raising the water level, raising the level of awareness of where we've come from, where we are, and where we're going. And in fact, God is is taking us into a place of worldwide revival in the midst of rising darkness and chaos. And that's happening in our midst and in our time. The story of Esther, I like to think of this as Purim, Esther and you. But really, what's going to happen tonight, I hope, what I'm planning on, what I believe is in the heart of God, is that you're going to leave here with with a mandate on you, with a call on you with a fresh revelation and understanding that you are called into the kingdom for such a time as this. And that God wants to release you, deploy you as Mordechai and as Esther. Now this has a special meaning for me because my grandfather's name is Mordechai. In the Jewish religion and Jewish culture, we don't, there are no juniors. We skip a generation. We always name our kids after someone who has already passed. So there are no juniors, no Jewish juniors, we're all, first, we're all first print. So I'm named after my great-grandfather and my grandfather. My grandfather was Mordecai, and so that's my Hebrew name. So I've always been attracted to or interested in this story because I'm in it, you know. None of you are <laughs> like that, right? You know? you know, enough about me, what do you think of me? So I want us to leave here with three lessons, three impartations from the story of Purim. Number one, God will preserve his people Israel. Number two, God invites you into his story, history. And number three, God is always working behind the scenes. Some of you may have been in a season where you can't see where God is and it's been kind of dark and you see, man, there's trees walking or it's cloudy or foggy or there's been a difficult season. Anyway, God is working behind the scenes. Now, Esther's a controversial book among those that write canon and and, and decide what books are in the canon. When you come with us to Israel, you'll go to Qumran where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found and you'll hear me teach you that you get this without going to Israel, that in fact, Esther's the only book that was not found at Qumran, which made it very controversial. It had already been that way because the name of God is not in the book. So the name of God is not in the book. The book wasn't found at Qumran with the other scrolls. The entire Bible was found. And so what's going on with this book? Why is it in the canon of scripture? Why is it so important? And why is it so important for today? Because it has lessons in it about where God is and who God is, whether we see or understand with our logical minds or not. God is greater than logic. He's greater than logic. He is, he is as logical as logical can be, but he is also above logic. So in order to understand this, we need to know a little bit about the story. I'm going to give you the fast version of what the whole book is about. How many of you read the book of Esther? Okay, how many of you have not read the book of Esther, but you're afraid to raise your hand, you did not raise your hands, because you don't want to get in trouble with the rabbi? Okay, most of us have a working knowledge somewhat about this story. There's a guy and his cousin or his niece or something, and, and she does a good thing, and the things and they get better, and, and people don't die, and it's, it's okay, you know, and, and then okay. So can I go to the Gospel of Matthew now? I understand, but Purim is a very important time in history for the Jewish people, and therefore, for the Christian people. Because anything, as the Jews go, so goes the nation, so goes the kingdom, right? And so what happens in this story is this supernatural preservation that leads to the coming of Messiah. It commemorates God's deliverance of the Jews during the Persian Empire, and it's about 450 years before the birth of Christ And again, the Jews avoid being exterminated, which is always the plan of the devil. It's a joyous time. This is one of the most fun holidays. It's not a mandated biblical feast like the feasts in Leviticus, the seven feasts of the Lord. But it's like Hanukkah. It's extra biblical, but absolutely celebrated by the entire culture, the commonwealth of Israel, into which you have been grafted, according to Ephesians chapter 2. And it's a joyous time filled with games and fun. And we say the... The joke we say all the time, which is they tried to kill us, we won, let's eat. <laughs> which we say at every holiday and in between holidays, too. The centerpiece is the book, the reading of the whole Megillah, the whole scroll. The Megillah is the scroll. My wife read it to me on the way, on the, the trek, the 40-year trek from Marin County to Napa. <laughs> she read me the whole Megillah. Now, this was Persia at the peak of its civilization. Persia has an incredible history. King Cyrus had decreed earlier the Jews could return to their homeland, build the temple, restore the land. But some remained in Babylonian captivity, and then the Persians came and beat the Babylonians, and the Persians took over. And now the Jews were under Persian rule. It's interesting and notable, for those of you who are not aware of this, that the modern-day country of Iran is the ancient country of Persia. Persia didn't become Iran in in name until the 1920s. Going back even further to the time of Jeremiah, it's the nation, it's the area called Elam in the scripture. I'll get to that in a moment. Because Persia, not only is it on the world stage today in preparation for the end times, but it is threatening the entire area of the Middle East right now, and it's threatening empire-ness like it did back in the time of Esther but it has an incredible future. They're gonna have some hard times on the way to that future. I'll explain that in a moment. So many of the Jews stayed in Babylon, therefore stayed in Persia, because it was more comfortable, more familiar, than it would have been going back and living a pioneer life, not unlike some of us that are living in, as my friends in Israel say, how you doing suffering in captivity, Miles, in the Bay Area? (laughs) Understanding that I will be there, I will live there, I will go there. That is my destiny but also knowing that for now, I need to be here for you. I need to be in the States and have one foot in Israel and one foot in the West because God wants to bring Israel and the West together. And as long as I feel that call, I'm going to be in both places. Somebody once said, how can you be in two places at once when you're not anywhere at all? But, you know, that's, that's another problem. Esther, her name is from Ist- Astart, from Ishtar. It means, it's, it's a pagan name. It was a given name. Mordechai is a pagan name. He's now a Jewish hero, but the name was originally the so- servant of Marduk, or the god of war of the Persians. So there's a lot of mixture in the names, but her real name is Hadassah. Her real name is Hadassah, which is a myrtle. It's a myrtle branch, which is a be- thing of beauty. It has to do with new life. And Hadashah is a contraction of the word for new. So Ishtar, Esther, is a star and Hadassah is new and Esther is raised up as a new star on the scene, on the scene of history and on the, for the future of Israel. She's a new star. This is fifth century Persia. The main characters, Mordechai, the hero of the story, we say. Esther, the heroine of the story. Haman, Haman, the villain of the story. And Ahasuerus say, <laughs> no, We're not going to do that one this time I spent so much time shutting you up last time I'll just tell, if you're here and you've never been to a Purim spiel Which is the acting out of the scroll, the Megillah When we say the name Haman We make noises, we have all this kind of shtick that we do In order to, to stomp out the name of Satan Amen? But we're not doing that tonight because i got a lot to cover here so I may just say, that guy, something <laughs> to keep you. And the, the king, Ahasuerus, try that. Yeah, or Xerxes, that's okay. So today, we, we, we are the beneficiaries of what Mordecai and Esther did back in the day. Why is it called Purim? Because the word poor means a lot. And there was a, there was a gambling game going on to decide on the part of Haman, the bad guy, what would be the day to wipe out the Jews? It will be a good time to wipe them out. We've been hearing that from Iran the last 10 years, right? Longer than that, since 1979. But it's really amped up the last 10 years. You know, we're going to wipe them off the map. We're going to annihilate them. There's going to be no Israel. Just watch this. Wait here. Here we go. It's threatening all the time. It's important to us because we are looking for the coming of Jesus. And Jesus is not coming back to New York. Jesus is not coming back to Washington, D.C. He's not even coming back to Brussels and the European Union. He's coming back to Jerusalem. And so these threatenings that go on all the time are just that. They cannot stand because, number one, God will always preserve Israel. So some of the traditions that we keep, we read the whole Megillah, like my wife did to me. We practice, which is charity. So do something nice for someone this week, this month, give them some money, give them some food, give them some clothing, give them something, give something of yourselves above and beyond what you normally do. This is a generous group. Do something more during this season. We wear these costumes like you saw the kids do. When we were, our kids were growing up, we would put the play on every year with our kids till they, you know, they said, no more, you know. they hit that pre-teen, teenage thing, it was kinda like, okay, we're done. And I, of course, played Haman, bad guy. Catherine, of course, is Queen Esther. My son Jonathan was Mordecai, and Stephen, because he's the youngest, was the king. <laughs> and we would act out the play. We would make the noises. We'd read the story. We would eat little Ashkenazi European-style humintoshin, which is a Haman's pockets, little sweet cakes. We would eat those. Do we have any here tonight? We do. We have them tonight. You'll get to try them. Hallelujah! Come for the cookies. Stay for Jesus. Okay, an overview of the whole story, and then I'm going to give you some points from the whole thing. There was a queen on the scene. Her name was Vashti. She was to appear before the king, but she decided not to come. The king got angry. He deposed the queen, called for a beauty contest to raise up a new queen. It's not what we do. Esther is part of the beauty contest. She's chosen as the new queen for the king. Now, remember, Esther is a Jewish girl... She's not part of the kingdom per se, but Mordecai, her cousin, her older cousin, he's called an uncle by everybody, they're cousins, but he's older than her, so he adopts her. She's an orphan. She comes from nowhere. We don't know where she comes from. She breezes in on the purpose of God into the scene, into a world-changing position. Some of you are breezing in on the purposes of God into a world-changing position. It may not be on the world stage. It may be in the children's church. It may be at your job. It may be in your family. It may be with your neighbor. But you have been breezing in on the purposes of God because you have within you the life of the king, the real king. Mordecai overhears about a plot to kill the king. He warns the king through Esther. The bad guy seeks to, away, looks for a way to kill Mordecai. And while he's at it, try to kill all the Jewish people. The king wants to reward Mordecai's loyalty, but Haman, the bad guy, he thinks, he thinks because that's how he thinks that this reward that is coming must be coming to him. And he winds up having to honor Mordecai, the Jew, before all the people of Shushan, the city where they are in Persia. You with me? Esther throws a banquet for the king and for Haman, and she pleads for the life of her people, at the right time, she reveals that she has a Jewish background. Remember that, because you have heard me say this in here before, but for 1700 years, since 325 AD, when Constantine the emperor made Christianity the official religion of Rome, and nobody was really Christian, From that time forward, we lost our Jewish root. We walked away from our Jewish root. We went into the dark ages. But now, now, achshav, now, in this season, you are discovering your Jewish root. You are finding out where you've come from. Just as Esther, said, go ahead, that's fine. I get it, I get it. I feel the same way. The thing that... Haman wanted to do to Mordecai gets turned on his head, and he himself winds up being, being murdered, being killed, executed. The Jewish people are saved. So that's the overview. You got it? Number one, God will preserve his people Israel. I was in a prayer meeting in South America in, at Mar del Plata, Mar del Plata is a city on the coast of Argentina where the Evita and Juan Perón exchanged two submarines of stolen Jewish gold for passports for the Nazis. And the Nazis came into South America through that port, Mar del Plata. And we were having a meeting celebrating the pastors from all the hill country around Argentina and at the same time acknowledging the Jewish root of the faith. We were in a prayer meeting and the leader of the prayer meeting prayed, oh Israel, don't worry, America is with you. And I stopped the prayer meeting and I said, excuse me, I think you have this backwards. Let's try it this way. Oh America, don't worry, as long as you bless Israel, you will be okay. That's a hard cheese to bite out here in Bree country, huh? Sorry about that. That's the truth. We have it backwards. The reality is God will preserve Israel. It's in the book. It's going to happen. Remember, because it comes from Genesis 12.3. God promised Abram, I will bless them that bless you and curse those that curse you. And we see it throughout history. Where are the countries that the nations, the civilizations that have stood against the Jews? They have disappeared or they're in decline, or they're rising up now for another shot, and they're also going to decline. God will preserve the Jewish people. We sang it tonight. Michelle led us in this psalm. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. You see, we're in a season right now where you have the power, by the power of your prayer, to help America to connect with the future that God has for us, which is to be a blessing in the earth, to continue to be a blessing in the earth. And the way we do it is, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, and that I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and will heal their land. Our land needs to be healed and cleansed, and part of that cleansing is the cleansing out of replacement theology and anti-Semitism so that we can stand with what God is standing with and love what God loves. Now, I know I am preaching to the choir. If you wandered in here and you have a Nazi background and you just hate the Jews and you just thought you'd come and see what's going on, please come and talk to me afterwards. You do have a gun with you, don't you? You know... Yes, oh, but my wife said that was a joke, just in case you weren't sure because, you know, we don't. The reason why Esther is a pivotal time in history is because God knows the end from the beginning, and the rising up of Haman, the bad guy in this story, has antecedents and ancestors and goes back to the time of Moses. And God knew back at the time of Moses that this would happen with Mordecai and Esther and Haman later on. Because he knows the end from the beginning. We don't see it. We see in part. We prophesy in part. We have vision in part. We don't really get the whole picture if we're honest. But we do know that God knows the end from the beginning. In Deuteronomy 25, 17, he said to the Jewish people, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way out of Egypt. You shall blot out remembrance of him. You shall not forget. There was a mandate upon Moses to wipe out Amalek, the enemy of the Israelites, and Moses didn't do it. And if you move your way through history, it goes back to after Moses, fast forward to the time of... Because God said in Exodus 17, I will be at war with the Amalekites from generation to generation. Does that mean that God is a meanie? No, it means that God knows who's who and what's what. And he knows the end from the beginning. He knows how things are going to play out. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He understands all these things. We don't. And so we look at it through a humanistic or a partial understanding, and we say, well, that's not right. Why would he wipe out that people? Well, he would wipe out that people because he knew centuries later what was going to happen. You fast forward to the time of King Saul, and King Saul was mandated by God the same thing to wipe out Agag, who was a descendant of Amalek, and King Saul didn't do it. And who do you think Haman comes from? He is an Amalekite who was of the seed of Agag and now he arises in Persia. Centuries later, a geographical world apart from where they were in Israel and the same issue rises up to stand against and to withstand the purposes of God. And God knew it. And there's been that theme of the adversary throughout history. Haman, Herod, Hitler, Hussein, Hamas, Hezbollah. I know, I know, I know. Get the H out of here. I, I, I get it, I get it. I get it. There's a whole teaching I could do on the mystery of that because that, that letter in Hebrew actually brings life. So of course the enemy is going to twist it and it'll come to us in transliteration as something that's anti-God, but that's a separate issue. The idea is that the spirit... That drives these things is the same spirit that arose in the garden. It's the same spirit that is anti-Christ, which is anti-Israel. They're the same, ultimately. Now we may have a debate. Is Jesus Messiah? Is he not Messiah? The Jews and I will, two Jews, three opinions. will argue all the time. I'll say, I know he is. They'll say, oh, no, he's not. And some of them, if they're honest, will say, well, we'll find out. That's the old story. The Messiah comes on the Mount of Olives. And the IDF general goes up, sees him, goes, runs back to the prime minister and says, Prime minister, the Messiah is here. The prime minister says, do me a favor. Would you ask him, sir, is this your first visit to the Holy Land? (laughs) God knows this spirit that is at work to thwart his purposes in the earth to thwart his purposes in raising up the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, this Esther that will stand for what he stands for and love what he loves. And so he comes against those that would bring you forth from whom you would be born. In 1944, Hitler said that if the Nazis were defeated, it would be another Purim. For the Jews, he acknowledged he acknowledged that this holiday that we celebrate spoke of a reversal of an entire genocide that was not done because of the intervention of God through Mordecai and Esther. In 1946, just as when Haman, when the tables were turned on Haman and he was hanged and his ten sons were hanged, in 1946, ten. Nazi leaders were hanged at the judgment at Nuremberg. Same season of the year. Same decision-making season of the year. There's a whole gematria or study of the numbers of this that I could walk you through, but I don't want to major in the minors with you, but I will tell you that you can find within the scroll of Esther dates that point to the Nazi Holocaust and the withstanding by God of the Nazis' deal, including these 10 that were hanged. It's in the book. It's in God's view screen. So God will preserve his people. Here's some of the key verses that I want to bring you. Now the king, this is chapter 2, the king loved Esther more than all the women, and she found favor and kindness with him more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. The king loves you. He loves you more than all the others. You're his favorite. I heard someone say that if Jesus had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. <laughs> when Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down to him, when you will not bow down to the spirit of this world or to the enemy's attacks upon Israel and the church, when you will not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with rage. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him who the people of Mordecai were. Therefore, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, who were throughout the whole kingdom of the king. In other words, it's not enough to just randomly hate or destroy one Jewish person. What the enemy wants to do is destroy the whole community. That's why the Iranian leadership, who are not the Iranian people, Say that again, the Iranian leadership is not the same spirit as the Iranian people. The Iranian people are hungry for God. They're hungry for reality. They're hungry for forward motion and living in the present. And the the battle today is between those that want to live in the 21st century and those that want to live in the seventh century. And those of us that want to live in the 21st century cannot afford to hate Israel. And that's why behind the scenes right now, because of the Iranian threat, Arab countries are aligning themselves with Israel and the United States. It's as wild as me seeing in Washington, D.C. 12 years ago, 4,000 Christians there to celebrate Israel. And I stood at the top of the stairs and I wept, and I thought if my grandmother could see this, she would not believe the day that we're living in, that Christians full of love and willing to stand with Israel and for Israel, well, the Iranian people are like that. And these these secret deals are now being made with some of the Arab world because they are terrified of Iran. And they they hate the Jews, but they're willing to make a deal with the Jews for the time being. So we'll see how that plays out. Number two, God invites you into his story. He invites you into history. Esther 4.13, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. This is when she is realizing that she's gonna be called in to do something way beyond her pay grade way beyond her comfort zone. Anybody here doing things that are way above your head and you feel like spiritually like you're in the deep end of the pool and nobody gave you a little tube or anything? Yeah, yes, 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 yes. That's normal, by the way, that's kind of like, that's living, this is living now. Mordecai, do not imagine, said to Esther, do not imagine that you, are in, that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. Side note, Hussan Nasrallah, the leader of Hezbollah in Lebanon, north of Israel, has said publicly, let the Jews all come back to Israel. It will save us the trouble of hunting them down all over the world. So when you hear people say to you politically, especially young people on campuses, when you hear people say, I'm not anti-Semitic, I'm just anti-Israel because they're they're mean Rambo the Jew against the Palestinians. What they're saying is, I am anti-Semitic. Because the, 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 the spirit behind this fascistic Islamo-fascist movement, the spirit behind it is not about Israel and a little country. It's about the Jew. And it's about wiping out all the Jews. Now, here's good news and bad news for you guys. The good news is you're grafted in. Hallelujah. The bad news is that the other thing Nasrallah said was, when we have all the Jews here, first we'll kill all the Saturdays, and then we'll kill all the Sundays. So by dint of being a servant of the Lord and loving Jesus Christ and loving the Jewish people, you're in the crosshairs of that same spirit. In case you haven't noticed. I mean, maybe you have noticed that moving forward in God brings an attack against your life. No? Okay. Must be us. Okay. Do not imagine that you in the king's palace, you in a comfortable, wonderful, anointed, loving, worshiping place, a king's palace, will escape that which is coming on the earth because we're all going to be part of what, is, what his story is, history is. If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. Here's a wonderful little side note. God's name is never mentioned, but this very sentence says, Hamakom. You've heard me teach this when I show you a picture of Jerusalem and I'll show you the Temple Mount and I'll tell you that in all the world there is a country, in all the country there is a city, in all the city there is a hill, and on that hill there is a place. That place is Hamakom. It is the place. It's where the Holy of Holies was. It's where Abraham brought Isaac. It's where Jesus took the cross. It's where the Temple was and where the Holy of Holy place is. That is Hamakom, his place. It is him. And so whether you participate or not, he says to Esther, help will arise from Hamakom, from the place who he is. Help will arise for the Jews because God will preserve his people. But you and your father's house will peri- perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. And Catherine and I were on television preaching into Tehran. The host, Hormoz Shariat, the Billy Graham of Iran, preaches the gospel every night into Tehran in Farsi. He said to us, uh, You have to, they're gonna be looking at your marriage. And by the way, if you have something living for them, please bring that. Because these are new believers or pre-believers, Muslims gathered around satellite TVs all over Tehran, basically saying, What must you do to be saved? And the word that God gave me was one of the interpretations, one of the translations of this is is who knows whether you've been brought into the kingdom for such a time as this? But another way of saying it in the Hebrew is who knows but that you have attained royal lineage for such a time as this? And so I could call the Persians, call the Iranians forth as royalty. Royal lineage. They have been called as princes, as princesses, as daughters and sons of Mordecai and Esther for such a time as this, and so have you. And so Mordecai says, Go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa. This is Esther speaking now. And fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens also will fast in the same way. And thus I will go into the king which is not according to the law. In other words, I'm not supposed to do this, but I may do it anyway. And this is what she says, avadity. avadati. Try that, avadati. avaditi, avadati. Avaditi. If I perish, I perish. God, give me the grace to live my life with that kind of a view, to not be afraid, to go to the places and do the things you're asking me to do. I mean, I don't even want to be yelled at. <laughs> let alone face death as by martyrdom. See? Avadity <laughs> avadity. Number three, God is working behind the scenes. He may not have his name per se in this book. You may not hear about him by name in this book. He may not be showing up out front, but it's like the Jews say when we say that a coincidence coincidence is God working anonymously. And that's what happens here. The story unfolds with this seeming anonymous touch, anonymous hand, these circumstances, these serendipitous and providential meetings, these things that could not be explained by man could not happen by the will of man. Is it the luck of the draw? No. Proverbs 16.33 says the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So these poor, these poorim, these lots that were cast, this gambling game, what day shall we kill him? Should we kill him on Wednesday or kill him on Thursday? Should we kill him on Saturday or Sunday? All that is held back and is in the hand of the Lord. He'll decide what happens when. Esther 9.20 Mordecai wrote these things and sent letters to all the Jews near and far who were in all the prince provinces of the king to establish among them they should celebrate yearly the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar. That was this Wednesday, Thursday. As the days on which the Jews had rest from their enemies, as the month which was turned from sorrow to joy for them and from mourning to a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and joy, sending presents to one another and gifts to the poor. Hallelujah. Gifts all around, presents, feasting, and fun, dancing, costumes, etc. If you're a wine drinker, have a glass of wine. If you're ultra-Orthodox, I might find you drunk on Ben Yehuda Street in Israel, which is always surprising to me, but there they are. They feel compelled to really celebrate, to falling down celebrating. I'm not sure what they're... They might be enacting the earlier parts of the book. I'm not sure. So the Jews accepted the custom which they had begun as Mordecai had written to them, And the reason is that God is working behind the scenes because God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Don't tell me you're too young. Don't tell me you're too old. Don't tell me you're not tall enough. Don't tell me you're not smart enough. God has formed you from your mother's womb. He has purposes and plans for you and nothing can withstand them. We can get in our own way for sure and the enemy would love to stop us. He's working overtime all the time but that does not change the purpose and the plan that God has for you. But his economy is not the same as ours and we see it in Esther's life. She was pretty fluffy in the king's palace. Number one queen had all the stuff you know she could have just kind of coasted. But she didn't. She said, avadati, avadati. If I perish, I perish. Because the economy of God is what we learn in Matthew sixteen twenty-five: Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Yeah. The adventure of walking with God, which is not a smooth road, but it sure is exciting. <laughs> so, we know According to Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. I don't know what you're facing this season. I don't know what you're coming through or going through or coming out of, but I do know that God is with you. If you are with him, he is with you. He's going to bring you through. Now, what about Iran? I Just, just a little political statement before we wind up here. Iran has a tremendous history with Israel and a tremendous future with the gospel, but they're going to have a hard time getting there. This fluffing and puffing and roaring that they're doing right now is not going to go well for them. How do I know? Because of the political scene? No, because of the Bible. Jeremiah 49, verse 35, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I am going to break the bow of Elam, Elam is ancient Persia, modern-day Iran, the finest of their might. I will bring upon Elam the four winds and the four ends of heaven, and I will scatter them to all these winds, and there will be no nation to which the outcasts of Elam will not go. If you speak to this fast-growing Iranian Christian community, they will tell you, we are living for this word. We know that destruction is coming. We know that scattering is coming, but we know that God is going to use it to send us out with the gospel around the whole world. They're unafraid. They are saying in Farsi, avadati, avadati. So I will shatter Elam before their enemies and before those who seek their lives, and I will bring calamity upon them. Even my fierce anger declares the Lord, and I'll send out the sword after them until I have consumed them. Then... I will set my throne in Elam and destroy out of it kings and princes, declares the Lord. But it will come about in the last days that I will restore the fortunes of Elam. Could it be That God, the same God who knew what Moses should have done with Amalek, who knew what Saul should have done with Agag, who certainly knew what Mordecai needed to do with Haman, knows what's going to happen to Iran and knows that in the end there will be a remnant who say, you are Lord. And that they will not only be like the 144,000 out of Israel, not not only the Jews that go preach the gospel, but the Iranians will go around the world with the gospel after this threatening that they are bringing upon themselves destruction, which they will do. They will go out and then God will restore the fortunes of Elam. And what's the fortunes of Elam? Elam? What could it be but to know him? Right. What greater fortune is there than to know him and for him to set a throne in your midst? What happens to Mordecai? I always wondered. you know, how does that work out for him, you know? Mordecai the Jew was second to, king, to the king. He was great among the Jews and well-received by the multitude of his brethren, seeking the good of his people and speaking peace to all his countrymen. And that's a word for you tonight. As you identify with Mordecai, as you identify with Esther, Esther raised up for such a time as this, to stand for what God stands for, to love what God loves. Mordecai, behind the scenes, encouraging and being sure that they don't get off track, that Esther stays at her job, and that you, as Mordecai, you say yes. Yes. Keep going. Don't give up. Don't give up, church. Keep giving up your replacement theology. Keep getting cleansed from the uncleanness of your life. Keep changing. Keep getting closer to what God loves and closer to what is in line with his second coming. Yes, you be Mordecai, and you be Esther. Now, Mordecai and Esther taken together, especially Esther, you got to think, well, who, could, who does this remind me of? This reminds me of somebody. It's not Miles. Who do we know that has a royal calling? Speaking of Esther now, has a royal calling, has no earthly father, has a hidden Jewish heritage, has a scepter extended to him, stands in the gap of intercession overturns the plot of the enemy and then rules and reigns in the entire kingdom. And if you are of him, then you are his bride. And if you're his bride, then that which is his is yours. And he is not on your head, he is not underneath you, but you are on his arm. Who is this? coming up out of the wilderness, leaning on the arm of her beloved. It's the bride. Here's your lineage. Here's your heritage. Here's who you are. i say it one more time. You have a royal calling as you are knit to Jesus. You have no earthly father. You have a heavenly father. You have a hidden Jewish heritage. I've been telling you that for a while. The scepter has been extended to you. You have authority in this world. You are standing in the gap of intercession. You can stand between the porch and the altar. You can weep between the porch of the altar for Israel, for America, for the Christians that are being persecuted in the Middle East. You can overturn the plot of the enemy. And the day is coming when you will rule and reign. And so I say to you, perhaps you were brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. For more information about Beit Abba, log on to our website at tfh.org/baitaba or call our office at 707-455-7790.